Thank you for listening to Life Church Podcast. For more information, go to lifechurchofcolumbia.org. Hebrews chapter 5. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to piggyback on the pastor's message from the other day. This is really where the Holy Spirit, I was telling him, I was like, I really want to get in on what you were speaking about uh, out of Hebrews, and he is just giving me an awesome opportunity. I'm so thankful for him in this house and Miss Patty and Pastor Patty. And uh, most importantly, I want to I want to thank the Lord for the guy who's walking in right now with the black cap. He's not much to look at, but uh, it's not bliss. <laughs> I want to just thank the Lord for uh, our associate pastors here, Josh and Courtney. We have incredible pastors coming up that really just give you an opportunity to be yourself. And, it's, and you may not be able to worship for that right now, but I hope by the end of this message you will be able to praise the Lord for being you. And uh, so let's go to Hebrews chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 12. I'm going to read some scriptures that y'all have heard here recently, and then I'll pray. Uh, starting in verse 12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you. Again, the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food, everybody say solid, belongs to those who are of full age. That is, those who by reason of use, everybody say use. Easy for you to say. Those who by reason of use have their senses excessive to discern both good and evil. Exercise to discern both good and evil. Does anybody know what discernment is? That word evil there, we often think is like evil, like d- bad sin, ferocious devil stuff. But that actually means uh, um, unuseful. Like it just doesn't have any meaning to it. Like it's, it's not worth your time. That y'all, y'all, y'all see what I'm saying? It, between the difference between what's worth your time and what's not worth your time. What he's talking about this morning. But you only get to know the differentiating between good and evil by the use of your skills. Y'all get what I'm saying? You only get possession through use. Okay? So, all right. I want you to jump to John chapter... You ain't even got to go there. John chapter 4, verse 34. I want to read this to you. Amazing verse in the King James. It says, Jesus said unto them, My meat... Everybody say meat. Because we don't want to just eat milk, right? We want to be meat eaters. We want to talk. We want to. We want to operate in what he was talking about the other day. My meat is to do the will of Him that sent me. That's a big statement, right? So I want to talk about the difference between milk and meat, and then what faith does to you in your actual wholeness, mind, body, and soul. Father, I thank you for the opportunity. I count it an honor and a privilege to preach your gospel. Let it be your words and not mine. Everything flowing forth from you, Holy Spirit, that tonight we'd be activated, God, but in the activation we'd be brought into a new level of wholeness. And God, that our faith be activated and our faith be full of substance and life. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. So, we see Jesus right here differentiate the, the difference between having milk and having meat. And milk and meat uh, isn't like, a lot of times we think of milk as you are getting in a little bit of the revelation of the Bible. And then meat is when you get really deep into it. But Jesus just said, the meat is when I 
do the Father's will. So the graduation from a baby milk drinker to an adult milk eater is how you apply what the milk is. It's taking the milk as nourishment and letting the nourishment create action. And action is the development into maturity that you may eat meat. Meat is doing. Milk is the revelation of the word of Jesus Christ. It's not that I'm, I'm dabbling in a little bit here and then I graduate to a deeper revelation and that's the meat. No, the meat is taking the milk and applying and beginning to act and begin to move in what you've been given. Okay, so I want to talk to you about a scripture in Matthew chapter 13, verse 19. We're going to see right here that Jesus is going to make a really cool statement when he is talking about the parable of the sowers. And I love that God's given it just off of some of the stuff that pastor's been preaching. He's been on these scriptures as well. Matthew chapter 13, verse 19. If you know what's going on here, Jesus just taught the parable of the sower. And he talked about by the wayside, on thorn ground. I forget all three of them, but you can read it right here in the scripture. But uh, this is only one. Of, this is one of the very few times that Jesus actually goes in and breaks down his parable. Uh, he doesn't do that a lot. A lot of times you just have to be spiritually mature enough to decipher it. But right here he takes the time to break his parable down to the disciples. And he says in verse 19 when anyone hears the word everybody say here hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it then the wicked one comes and snatches it away okay satan comes to steal kill and destroy everybody say steal so satan's objective is to steal what is he trying to steal we see it right here when the word gets on you this word understand means to act If you break that word down in the Greek, it means to act with reverence. All right, stay with me. Satan is trying to steal your revelation before it gets to action because if it doesn't get to action and he robs it, it's no longer in your possession. You only possess what you apply. Therefore, many of us can hear the word and not understand why Why is that not producing a greater fruit? Why, why if Jesus prunes us by his revelation and by the knowledge of the word and of the gospel of Jesus Christ and he said, I'll prune you that you produce more fruit, but I'm not producing more fruit. Do you ever ask the question, what? What is the gap? Why is it that I can hear that kind of revelation and it not take me to a greater fruit-bearing state? Is that you ever wonder that? But I like what he said right here because Satan comes to snatch. Snatch to me is quick and aggressive. If I'm going to take that from Bliss, I'm going to take that Bible. I'm not going to walk up and be like, "I want your Bible, Bliss." I want to aggressively snatch the word out of his life. I don't want him to be prepared for what's going to happen. I'm not going to give you time to take a week to think about if it's valuable enough for you to act on. You, it ain't at the end of this 21 days that I'm going to give you enough time to start praying for the sick. I'm not going to give you enough time in 21 days to get your priorities right. I heard the word this morning about reorganizing my priorities, but I'm not going to give you 21 days for you to marinate on that word and not put it to action. You should have done it 30 seconds after you walked out of the door this morning. How you were talking to the Holy Spirit. What you did between churches. If it doesn't immediately turn to an action, Satan will come and steal. I don't have a week to marinate on what I heard this morning. 
I don't have 30 minutes to marinate and try to figure out if I'm really going to make this decision of faith to reorder my life. I don't have the time because I have an enemy who is very active in the destruction of the expression. He is destructive to the expression because the expression of Jesus is what he's worried about. Our, our, our pettiness, in, in, in what I mean by pettiness, when I obtain a bunch of stuff, but I'm just constantly dwelling and dealing with me. Like it's just all about me, it's all about my circumstances, it's all about my situation. I say that pettily because to me that's the simplicity and basicness of the gospel that you were supposed to step into the newness of life and then we begin to move forward in the application of what we're hearing so that I can be the reflection of Jesus. Satan is not worried about your timidity when you're always dealing with you. He's not worried about you. But when you begin to be the expression of what you're hearing, he fears Jesus. And you're created. He said you're predestined to be conformed to the image, right? So he's scared of Jesus. So when you become conformed, he's scared of you. So if he can steal from you before you ever apply, that's usually going to be the route he goes. So I want to talk about why, why is it that sometimes we don't apply it, Kamal? What, what, what causes us sometimes to just, you know, we hear it, but we just, we're not really doing anything with it. What causes that? And out of that, the Lord spoke the word to me, self-preservation. Self-preservation is the enemy of obedience. I want you to, I didn't have these in my scripture, but it's my favorite book in the Bible. Go to John chapter 15. Uh-oh. We're going to talk about some abiding? What? You better learn how to abide. It's important. So, did you know that God's love is always present for you, but whether or not you're in it is totally your decision? We have trouble with that because God is a loving God. But when I don't feel love, the majority of the time I can trace it back to where did my obedience go. Because God is a loving Father and He never turns His love off for us. He said, David said, if I make my bed in the pits of hell, your love is there. You're for me. But whether or not you're abiding in it is totally contingent on whether you're obeying or not. So let, let's check this out. All right. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done. Check this out. Uh, let's look at 14. We're gonna, I got, I've got like jumbled up writing all over this. So I'm going to have to dissect some of this as we break down through it. Uh, let's go to verse, uh, chapter 14, uh, verse 12. Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do even greater. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do. And the Father, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Let's jump down. Okay, 15. If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper. He'll give you another helper when? When you obey. When you keep my commandments. That word keep means to diligently preserve through obedience. That's what keep means. Let's, let's skip down here a little bit more. Holy Spirit. All right, check out how Jesus governs his life in verse four, uh, chapter 14, verse 31. But that the world may know that I love the Father... And as the Father gave me commandment, so I do. Jesus was the expression, his, his expression of love to his Father was only measured through his obedience to the Father's will. And I'm called to the same example, the same destiny, so my love for the Father can only be measured by how I obey. Okay? Uh, let's see. Uh, 
let's go jump down to chapter 15, verse 10. Uh, let's start in verse 9. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. He just said he loves us, but he gives us a commandment there to abide in my love. And then check this out. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Is that not pretty amazing that love, that the one who is love, you cannot abide in that love unless you obey? That's kind of hard to swallow sometimes because I wonder why I fluctuate in and out of feeling love, knowing I'm loved, insecurity to security, back and forth, and it's like this, it's this in and out. But if you watch it, it, I know in my own personal life, I can measure it by my obedience. Where I stand usually is in direct proportion to how obedient I've been. Because I have a father who's constantly trajecting love at me, but he said to abide in it. And my abiding comes only through my obedience. Amen? Self-preservation is the enemy of obedience. God never leads you to comfort, but he'll always lead you to your best. So the majority of the time, we don't obey because I'm technically trying to preserve something. Let me, let me give you some real life examples. Uh, you're going through the grocery store, and majority of you hear from the Lord in here. I, I would say the majority of you, if you're a born-again believer and have the Holy Spirit, you're actually hearing from the Lord every day, but you have to cultivate how to hear. Say you hear from the Lord to step out and just begin to minister to someone in the grocery store, or the gas station, or something like that, and you don't do it. What did you process in that moment to not make the decision to obey? How, how will I look? What will they think about me? How I'm really busy in this. I mean, I know them, and they got a lot of stuff going on in their life. I've heard about them in the community. And if I talk to them, this conversation may turn into a 30-minute conversation, and I don't have time. What did you try to preserve? Your life. Your life. And Paul made a distinct description of what happens when you do that he said if you try to save your life you'll lose it but if you lose your life you'll save it so technically self-preservation is the lie of the enemy that says you can keep something you technically cannot you will actually try to maintain something you don't have the capacity to maintain therefore robbing yourself of the ability to ever get the real thing because you only get the real thing through obedience to the spirit do you understand how contorted Satan wants to make obedience? Because if I believe I'm actually preserving peace, uh, so uh, let me, uh, here, let's break this down a little bit. Me giving in to someone's desire and say somebody's life who doesn't have a high value of Jesus. Say, sometimes we see it in marriages, uh, if, if the spouses are on two different pages spiritually, and I'll submit to the spouse because they want it one way and I want it a different way, or, or whether it be at work and there's good stuff going on, I don't really want to stand out like that sore thumb, you know what I mean? I don't, I don't want to do those things. That sometimes my obedience, I'm actually believing I'm trying to preserve peace. But in the Bible, he said, peacemakers will be called the sons of God. And that in uh, 2 Corinthians, he says, the sons of God are those who are led by the Spirit. So you mean to tell me I can only make peace when I obey the Spirit, right? So if I make the decision, I'm not going to obey the Spirit because I'm trying to preserve peace. I've automatically stepped into a lie because I'm trying to preserve something that doesn't exist outside of obedience. 
Uh, y'all stare at me. Yeah. <laughs> it's so true. I see it so often when we go out and to do things that I don't want to rock the boat in my decisions. I, I know what the Spirit's saying to me, and I want to try to keep the peace. But technically, I'm just in self-preservation mode, and I'm trying to obtain a life that he said you're going to lose if you try to obtain. But if you lose your life in direct obedience to the Spirit, you'll actually gain it. But it's the, false, it's the false reality of the enemy to say, if you try to preserve you, you can keep it. Uh, check this out. Uh, Jesus said, for the joy that's set before me, I endure the cross. I made this statement to Scott the other day. I said, that sounds like the most contradicting scripture ever. Everybody close your eyes for a second. Probably everybody in here has seen the passion. Think about Jesus on the cross. Think about the torment, the beating, the persecution, the ridicule. All right, now look at me. Did you think of joy when you looked at that? I've never at any point in time thought, that looks like a joyful activity. Right? It's, it's, it's hysterical because we believe joy so often is contained in me trying to steward joy. Joy is an inheritance in your action. Woo, that's truth. <laughs> Believe me or not, it's truth. You will experience more joy and more consistently when you act on your faith. When you begin to step out and boldly do what the Spirit is leading you to do, but we try to maintain joy. So I'll go to a service and feel the experience of the Holy Spirit's presence and try to leave out of here and maintain it through just prayer and fasting or just worship music. But, but let me tell you, you can go out there and pray to your blue in the face and not act on what you know and joy will never be sustained. Because prayer is equipping, it's connectivity for when you get up out of your prayer closet and begin to act. But if you do not act, you'll never maintain joy because you're in self-preservation. <laughs> I don't want to know if I want to talk about this. Prayer sometimes is way easier than you getting up and doing what you just prayed about. <laughs> Father, I won't break through in healing. <laughs> Go out and pass sick people up all day. God, I want to. I hope they give me a chance to church. I want to be a minister and then walk by broken people all day. <laughs> because out here, I'm just trying to preserve me. I want to preserve my reputation. I want to preserve my comfort. If the Holy Spirit was called the Comforter, why was it so important you maintain comfort? Because He's the Comforter. So obviously, I have to be uncomfortable. For him to be who he actually is, right? Fruit. I'm going to have to get so uncomfortable that I get to enjoy the Holy Spirit as who he really is. It's so amazing to me how people in a room all coming for the same thing, we're coming here for Jesus, can have such different perceptions of the Holy Ghost. Because the Holy Ghost is only experienced through active faith, doing what you've heard and what you've learned. Because I don't get the joy of knowing the Holy Spirit as a comforter if I'm always trying to maintain comfort. 
I don't even know what that means. For you to call the Holy Spirit a comforter, it's just a scripture in the Bible, but I don't have a radar. I don't have a thermometer. I don't have a barometer. There it is. I don't have a barometer for that statement. I think it's a good statement, but if I try to live for comfort, I technically really don't know what you're talking about because this Holy Spirit's not leading you to comfort. He's going to comfort you in his leading. Uh, let's get into some more scripture. Action in your faith will always bring about joy in an experience of God that can never be experienced in disengaged knowledge faith. So I want to talk about dead faith. Because this scripture is always blowing me away. Does that mean, because, Holy Spirit, help me. I've always wondered about people that are in the faith. So if you call yourself a Christian, you're actually calling yourself a believer. Everybody say believe. So you believe in something. You have faith in something. But why is it that faith looks so differently so often? Where one looks like a lot of knowledge and one looks like an expression. Well, that's a good question, Colby. <laughs> I'm glad you asked. So let's go to uh, James chapter 2, and I'm going to read verse 17 and 22. Go read that whole thing when you got time. I'm jumping all over the place, but it's all going to be good anyway. Uh, James chapter 2. Y'all, everybody and their mama knows this scripture, like everybody. You don't even have to be saved. It's on the wall in the high school most of the time. In the same way, faith by itself, it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Faith without works is dead. Faith without works is still present, but it's dead. Faith without works is dead. You can have a faith, but it can be dead as a doornail. You can tell me Jesus is the Son of the living God, and He's a Savior, He's a healer. But without works, it's just dead faith. So I want to talk to you about how a lot of times dead faith begins to define your hope, and you don't even know it. As believers, we should be the most hope-filled people on the planet. But so often, that's not really what you run into. But I'm going to show you what it looks like to have faith and have a hope that has no substance. So you can actually be disappointed and it contradict the scripture in your mind. So let me explain that a little better. Faith without works is dead. Read verse 22 in James chapter 2. You see that his faith, speaking of Abraham, and his actions were working together. <laughs> and his faith was made complete by what he did. Everybody say, what he did. What he did was the completion of his faith. It was the possession of his faith by what he did. What he did. He did. He did it. I sound like I'm talking to Benjamin. He did. He did. There's no sense in my voice getting that high pitch. All right, look at Romans chapter 5, verse 5. Now, hope does not disappoint. How many in here could say at any point in your life, You've experienced disappointment in your walk of faith. Both hands. Woohoo! So let's talk about why often we experience disappointment in our hope because our faith never took action, so therefore our hope is empty. Ah! Stay. Let's go. This is good. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Faith, everybody say faith, is the substance of things hoped for. That word hope is the same word in Romans chapter 5, verse 5, that this hope does not disappoint. But faith is the substance of hope, the evidence of things unseen. 
So if my hope does not disappoint, but without faith my hope has no substance, then hope very well can disappoint without an act of faith. Uh, yeah, I'll get there in a minute. <laughs> it's good too. <laughs> I got so much, I got to stay right there. <laughs> Romans chapter 5. Is she saying read the rest of verse 5? All right, let's go read the rest of verse 5. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So good. But I want you to look at something. It's like me giving you a pillow. Okay? I tell you I'm going to give you a pillow. But then I take all the stuffing out of it. And then I give you the pillow. That'd be disappointing, wouldn't it? If you're planning on laying on that pillow, you're planning on using that pillow to keep your head propped up, and I take all the stuffing out of it. That's how the Holy Spirit showed it to me. When we have hope without active faith. I just removed all the stuff and out of my hope. So my hope has no substance, so it very well can disappoint me. <laughs> if I have been given a gift and I don't utilize that gift, my hope will very well be without substance. So I'll declare truths about God that do not influence my life because it only becomes substance, full, able to not disappoint when my faith is activated through partnership and co-laboring. I want you to check it out right here. Y'all going to look at me. I'm just going to run off. I was trying to be slow, but y'all just staring at me. So I'm just going to fly through it. All right, go look at um, 2 Corinthians 6, 1. In the NIV, it says, As God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. That word grace right there literally means especially the divine influence upon your heart and its reflection in your life. He said, do not receive my grace in vain by not reflecting what you've learned. Your vain right there means empty. What did I just talk to you about? Hope that has no substance. It ain't got no feeling. I can talk about hope, but it ain't got nothing in it. So it therefore does disappoint me. And a lot of times we go through disappointment. We blame it on God, but I never filled my hope with anything. I just had the word hope. I had the knowledge of hope through scripture and proximity to a good pastor. But if I don't express my faith, my hope is empty because I never act on what I knew. And the whole time, the Satan is not scared of us. We're not doing anything. We're not leading in the, in the guidance of the Holy Spirit. We're not living in it because Jesus said, I came to destroy the works of darkness and undo them in the Passion Translation. I literally came to destroy future works and undone the works that have been done to this point. And I get to be a part of that. And then I live with disappointment and then express that disappointment to the world. But in all reality, I never even acted on faith. And so I'm telling them, this hope really does disappoint because I'm disappointed. But you're disappointed because you didn't do anything with your milk. So therefore, you're immature and you're not the expression of Jesus. So I'm giving the world a terrible view of the hope of Christ. I, oh, it drives me nuts when somebody asks me to pray. And I will pray for you. And then you leave out of the prayer and make a statement, man. I just, I, I just hope, man, I've been thinking about what I'm going to have to do with this. I'm just like, why did we pray? You've got to put something with your faith in its action. Because your hope is not hope. It's an empty pillowcase that can't sustain you. 
That's what it looks like. Pray for me. Pray for, please pray for me. And then, and then that's your attempt at hope. And then we come out of the prayer only to make statements contrary to what I just prayed. Or what the church just prayed. You got an empty pillowcase. And, and then express to the world that you're disappointed. No, what we're really telling them is, this hope really isn't what God says it is. I'm not feeling this hope with the faith in action. Because you want to know why I've seen this? And I, and I got to be very careful here. I don't see healing all the time. I've seen people pass away that I love dearly. But I've seen people go through the passing away of somebody we prayed for and they lived in hope. Their hope had substance because they live a life of faith. The application of a knowledge. And that they could worship in the passing and be a consistent expression of the goodness of God in total heartbreak. I'm not talking about getting every miracle answer because I haven't gotten to that place. To the glory be to God, we need to pursue it. But I'm talking about a person that loses what seemingly is everything. But their hope was so full to the brim of a life of active faith that it wasn't a facade they were putting on. But when you talk to them, they're full of faith. When you talk to them, they're full of joy. When you talk to them, it's a consistent expression of the goodness of God because they've lived a life that is consistent with what they've learned. And then you take the one that can, I can, you can pray the prayer and leave the prayer and leave the faith dead as a doornail right there. And then you think by coming up and getting prayer, that's the declaration of hope. That's just the first step. That's just the activation. But you have to walk your faith out to fill that thing with something. I know. I, I hope this is. It's just simple to me. The way I see it. The way I, I'm simple. I'm just simple. I like simple. I ask the Lord to talk to me simply. I want a hope that has enough substance to to withhold the world's issues. Babe, come here. Please. I'm sorry. I'm, you know me. I, I know. All right. Don't grab my head, Mike. Okay. <laughs> I have hope that has enough strength. I've worked out. I put to test my body. I work out. I strengthen my muscles. So my wife is having a problem standing right now. So I can tote my wife around because I've got substance. I've got enough substance to maintain her while she's struggling. Okay? The majority of us have nothing that can withhold somebody in their burden in a broken state because I don't have a hope that has anything to stand on. I can't pick somebody up if I can't hold myself up. But see, we never graduate into maturity because I never do what I hear. It's not about uh, to be a theologian or understand so much scripture or go, go to classes or go to Bible school. It's just taking what I hear and doing it. And then somebody who doesn't have a theological background can be the hope of glory Christ manifests through into a world that's broken. So all of a sudden, I, you can come stand on my hope. It's solid enough. You can get all on top of it. 
Because I've got enough substance in my hope that I can carry you when you cannot carry yourself. I can run into broken people and I've got enough substance in my hope you can get on top of it. I know that's simple, but it's just how I see it. But you know what it is? I remember the first day I prayed for somebody in public. It was at Chick-fil-A in West Monroe. God bless Chick-fil-A. Lord, sweet teas and nuggets. Almost spoke in tongues. Who stole my Hyundai? So, <laughs> come on, got that right there at the end. <laughs> I remember I had been reading this book called The Forgotten God by Francis Chan. And he was talking about the Holy Spirit. It's like, I've never heard somebody talk about the Holy Spirit like that. He can be my friend. He can be my friend. He can be my comforter. He can be my helper. So I do construction work now, and I have a helper. <laughs> okay, sometimes we've hired helpers. When I hire a helper, it's not because I want to have a good conversation with you for the day. I'm about to do a task, and I'm going to need your help. It says the Holy Spirit is your helper. Pericletos, one called along beside. I'd read that book and I said, oh my goodness. Spirit of the living God is right beside me. And he's my helper. And I'm a co-laborer. This thing's about to change my life. And I walked into Chick-fil-A. And if you've ever been in Chick-fil-A, there's a thousand people in it 24-7. And there's lines everywhere. And there's people everywhere. And as soon as I got in line and I knew I was making it to that cash, cashier, the Lord began to speak to me about depression. He just said, she's depressed and she needs to know how much I love her. In that moment, I get to graduate from milk to meat. I'm a babe. I ain't been in Christ very long. But I'm about to, don't nobody know it, but there's a bar mitzvah going on. A graduation celebration on the inside of my soul. I'm going into manhood. Woo! I'm, I'm going from a bottle to a steak right here. Don't nobody else know what's going on, but on the inside, I'm connecting with my father, and I'm about to make a graduation. And see, you just see it as talking to a cashier, but I see it as I'm getting to be the reflection of Jesus. The one who saved my soul is letting me be like him. And then one step further, fear tried to come. Self-preservation tried to rob me of this moment. No, 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 no. I... I'm graduating today. I'm going from milk to me. I've heard so many sermons. I've listened to so many podcasts. I've heard so many good teachings. But today, I go from milk to me. And then when, when the next customer went away, the voice got a little, no, 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 no. I'm going from milk to meat. Fear, you're a liar, you're a thief, and I refused to bow. And I got up and got to have this moment in the midst of all this chaos with this lady behind the cashier. And tears were streaming down her face. And I got to grab her hands and pray with her. And I planted a seed of the kingdom of heaven. And I got to walk away. It looked like a chicken sandwich to you. But to me, it was steak. <laughs> to me, it was a ribeye. To me, it was all of a sudden, I possess what people have been talking about my whole life. And all the of a sudden I had enough I had some substance see at that point I believe I had hope but I had no hope with substance a Muslim could have walked in the room and I bet if they were informed enough they could have convinced me out of my faith you don't like to hear that I'm just being honest with you I had no reality of what I was hearing I had a lot of knowledge but my knowledge went to an experience, 
And all of a sudden, I understand why a disciple would say, I'm going into the city whether they kill me or not. Y'all don't understand what I'm saying. When we go to Africa, sometimes we have to make decisions on what we're about to do because the risk is very high. I couldn't have made those type of decisions with a milk drinker mentality. With a bottle in my mouth, mission work sounds really fun. Sounds like a good idea that I can do a fundraiser in my community and everybody can celebrate me because I'm raising money with t-shirts. Woo! But the reality is when I get off the plane, I'm stepping into a real reality. And if I'm sucking on a bottle and I haven't learned how to eat meat by the doing of my faith, that place will swallow me whole. So I wasn't ready to go to Africa until I talked to the lady at Chick-fil-A. It's, it's the reality. I, I've prayed for Hindus. I've seen legs grow out. But it all started with the cashier at Chick-fil-A. Boy, I just want to eat some Chick-fil-A now. But all of a sudden, my hope with one act was filled with substance. And I had enough substance that people in broken places could stand on. You are meant to be a beacon of hope. Do you know what it's like to carry hope into somebody's hopeless situation and see God begin to move, but you gave them the pedestal to get out of the garbage? The way I see it is, I can't save people. But a lot of times when people are standing in the mess of the world, it's hard to experience the encounter God wants for them. So my hope is just the platform of substance to where they can get out of the mess to receive the inheritance. I'm not saving them. I'm not healing them. But when my hope has been filled with substance because of my actions, then people can get up on my hope in the middle of a situation and begin to receive what has been available the entire time. But sometimes when you're down here in all the muck of disappointment, brokenness, frustration, and hurt, it's hard to receive what is already available. But if we don't act, our substance has no hope, and I can go into the gas station and see a broken person, and they're just a broken person. One of the things that infuriates me the most is to see a broken person and see a believer say, I'll be praying for you. Oh, my God, you're go- your family's going through. I'll be praying for you. I'll text the prayer chain. <laughs> your hope is as hollow as my head. Oh, no. <laughs> I know I'm, trying to, I'm being funny to lighten this up. I'm sorry, I'm just funny. I just like to be funny. But it's serious. You're, wh- what, do you, what makes you think you're going to go home and pray something into existence that you didn't have the faith to do two minutes ago in the middle of public? Oh, man, your leg is in a cast. I'll be praying for you. I'm I'm being silly, but I'm giving you a a real-life example. I see it all the time. Oh, my gosh, your aunt is in the hospital. I'll be praying for you, brother. I'll text the prayer chain. I'm going to make some T-shirts that says, I am the prayer chain. I don't got to text nobody. But I'm being funny, but it's real. What makes you think your hope is going to have enough substance when you get home to carry you into intercession? (sighs) Whoo, <sighs> son, I, that's a mouthful Intercession I, I, We have an intercessory team here And them women are fire Them men are fire Fire Intercession is intense What makes you think If you don't have enough substance in your hope To pray That you're going to go into intercession And tear down strongholds for somebody <laughs> I, 
boy, I'm just going to go ahead and let y'all know, some days I have a way easier time expressing and engaging moments out there than I do contending for hours. Yeah. just going to go ahead and let you know. Insight to my world. Go to Hebrews chapter 11. Everybody okay? There's scripture in the Bible that says, The kingdom of heaven is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Woo! That's a good scripture. Josh loves to read that one. That's one of my favorites. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. That's the kingdom of heaven. Can I go ahead and tell you? The majority of my experience, not all the time, but the majority of the time what people are trying to preserve is two of the things he listed in there. Peace and joy. Everybody wants to be at peace in their mind, in their spirit, in their homes, and in their work, and in, in every area of life. We just want peace. It's our, it's our automatic nature. We're, we're created with a desire to have peace in our life. And the other one is joy. We want to be happy. Everybody, a lot of people will do anything they can to try to obtain happiness, come on. But we're trying to obtain something and maintain something. I'm only going to get in the Holy Ghost, and the Holy Ghost is always leading me outside of my comfort. It's just the Bible. Hebrews chapter 11. I'm going to read some statements to you because I just, I, I was so intrigued by Hebrews chapter 11. It's the hall of faith. Just men and women that went down in history, Dad, that just did something. They, their faith and their decision shook history, shook the planet. So I just took them out. I'm just going to read them really quick. By faith, Abel offered. Everybody say offered. You're going to see a continuing theme through every one of these I talked to you about. By faith, an action followed. By faith, an action followed. You ready? By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice. By faith, Noah moved with godly fear and prepared an ark. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called out to go, went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, Sarah received strength to bear a child because she judged him faithful who had promised. By faith, Abraham offered up Isaac, concluding that God was able to raise him. Side note, Scott mentioned this the other day. I had never seen this, but do y'all realize that Abraham, by faith, made the decision to sacrifice Isaac, not with the belief he was going to send a substitute, but by faith he'd raise him up when he killed him. <laughs> that talked to me. By faith, Moses was hidden. By faith, Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater than the riches in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. By faith, he forsook Egypt. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell when they were encircled. They walked around them, but by faith, they engaged in an action, and as they began to walk the walls of Jericho, and they didn't just shake the city of Jericho, they shook history because a group of people believed in their God, and then made an action. I, by faith, begin to walk around this thing. I, by faith, put the baby in the basket. By faith, I received the strength to bear a child in my old age. By faith, I did something. By faith, Rahab received the spies with peace. By faith, they subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouth of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edges of the sword. Out of weakness, they were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again, and others were tortured, having obtained a good testimony through faith. Gosh. Ah, by faith, 
They stood when an entire nation was bowing while the furnace was getting hotter. By faith, they were making decisions that were leading them to their physical death. But by faith, they obtained the promise. By faith, they inherited God. By faith. By faith. Everybody say, by faith. But without action, you just have faith. It's just dead. After reading this, it amazes me pretty good that you can actually have faith intact and in your life. But it's just dead. I don't know about y'all, but it turned a light bulb on for me. How I can meet so many believers that I would claim if you believe in Jesus Christ, you believe He's the Son of the living God, and you believe all the stuff the Bible says, then in my mind you had faith. But I can, I couldn't, I've never been able to add up how you can have faith and not have a life that reflects what you have faith. And the Lord said, son, it's not that they don't have faith. It's just dead. I was just like, that's pretty simple. I think my call, one of my calls in my life is to get the believers to believe. That's what I'm going to do, Scott. I'm going to spend the rest of my life making sure believers believe. Because when a believer believes, you express the nature of Jesus. You know what amazes me about every one of them I listed to you? The majority of those that I named off to you did something really stupid in every, in every story. Moses, I, I, don't, I got a speech impediment. I don't talk well. You need to get somebody out. Sarah laughed. She laughed at the angel. I overheard him talking and laughed at him. I mean, y'all, I mean, this is excitement for me. I, I'm just saying. But they went down in history as the people who changed the planet. Because even in their weakness, action followed. I don't know about y'all, but that's an anthem for me. That come all even in the midst of my weakness and my screw-ups and my shortcomings. All I got to do is just follow it up with some action. Even where I feel like I missed it, just followed up with some action. Missed it this time, that's okay. I'm going out somewhere else. It's gonna, somebody's going to be broken. Somebody's going to be hurting. Somebody needs to hear. This is, an, this is a message solely on the expression of your faith so that your faith is no longer dead, so that your hope now has substance. Because I'm tired of the world thinking this hope does disappoint. When I have a scripture that I believe with every fiber in my body, this hope does not disappoint. But this hope, will radically disappoint you when it has no substance. And that substance only comes from an act of faith. Thank you for listening to Life Church Podcast. For more information, go to lifechurchofcolumbia.org.